We are excited today to have Dave Russo with us, and he is uh, in the States currently from uh, his time as a missionary in Zimbabwe, and uh, he's actually going to be spending some time uh, going through a class here soon at Trinity, uh, which is nice before he heads back. So a man that's willing to continue to learn is a, is a humble man in my book, so that's good stuff. So I tell you what, this is always awkward, so just clap and make him feel like a big deal. How's that? <laughs> I asked him if he walked around a lot. <laughs> I do, so that's right. Okay. Yeah, I, I get my exercise in other ways. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Um, yeah, we've been in the States for just over four months, and so it's taken us a while to get back here. Uh, we've been everywhere else, um, so it's good to be able to come back to the home church, and uh, thank you for being behind us over all these years. Uh, we've been in Zimbabwe for 28 years, so the time has flown by, and um, we just thank the Lord that he has kept us and enables us to continue serving him there, and we could not do that without people like yourselves uh, being behind us. So thank you. We're going to, uh, I just want to give you a brief update on our ministry in Zimbabwe, um, just so you know where we're at. Um, and so they're going to sh just shoot a few slides up here. Uh, how's that coming, Sue? They're working on it. What's that? We got it there. Got it there? Okay. So they're just trying to get it up here. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, um, we may have success, we may not, and if we don't, that doesn't matter. Oh, yeah? Ah, there we are. Yeah, good. All right. Um, so that's us. Obviously, and the next next slide. All right, so we've been serving in Zimbabwe, uh, the country where the Victoria Falls is. So if you don't know much about Zimbabwe, you should at least know something about the Victoria Falls, right? So, um, country of great beauty. Um, we love the country. There are many good things about it. Many beautiful places to see. Um, and so last year uh, I graduated with my doctorate, but the fun part of it was having my family uh, come and visit and be a part of the celebration. So we have Hannah and Chris. It's a bit too quick. <laughs> so, because I have to show you my grandchildren. So Bailey and Paige are our two grandkids, and now Chris and Brooke have just had uh, their first child, Mason, little boy, so we have two uh, granddaughters and one grandson. Yeah, so now you can go on to the next slide. All right, so I've been teaching at the Rari Theological College for 
pretty much the 28 years that we've been in Zimbabwe. And uh, we're training men and women for ministry. I was the principal of the college, and now I am lecturer. Uh, I handed over the position last year. Not only are we involved at HTC, but also we are involved in a ministry called Hands of Hope. And uh, this is where we work with churches who are reaching out to kids uh, who are um, orphaned. Zimbabwe has 1.2 million orphans. And so we have a feeding program. We, um, yeah, we just find many different ways of reaching out to these children through churches. Also, Sue is in charge of short-term ministry. So a lot of people come over and do short-term ministry amongst uh, with us, with Hands of Hope, and also at our Mission Hospital. Uh, these two guys came out to build some stuff for us. And we live in a country of, uh, yeah, great poverty, because this guy has been in charge for 36 years. Anyone know his name? Mugabe. Yeah, Mugabe. That's right. He's, a lot of people know him. And so Zimbabwe used to be the second wealthiest nation, uh, in Africa, today it's considered the poorest. So in 36 years, he's pretty much reduced the country to poverty. So thank you. So those are just a few slides of what's going on in Zimbabwe and what we're involved in. So our two main area of foci are the college and Hands of Hope. And... Uh, yeah, if you ever want to talk to Sue about short-term opportunities in Zimbabwe, uh, she'd love to talk with you. So as I think of Zimbabwe, I think of uh, yeah, a country that's gone through great upheaval. And um, you know, think of a country where there's 90% unemployment. So, you know, here in the States, when you talk about four, five percent unemployment. Uh, yeah, that's just uh, sort of amazing to us. So what does that mean? It means that um, the large majority of people uh, have to somehow get off their rear end and do something because uh, there is no welfare system. So you've got to get out there and whether it's selling tomatoes, like that guy in the picture, uh, trading stuff, carving things, making grass mats, go to a neighboring country and buy something and bring it back into the country, is life for many Zimbabweans. So you can imagine living in a situation like that, even as a Christian. Um, you know, we live... Uh, often wondering where tomorrow's bread is going to come from. That's life for the average Zimbabwean. And so you can imagine the fear that people live in. Not only is there the fear of where does my bread come from, but also we live under an oppressive government, a government that constantly takes away people's rights. And so that is very much life in Zimbabwe. Uh, Mugabe is 93, so we don't know how much longer he's going to continue. 
But then the question is, what happens after him? Uh, who's going to come next? And there's no guarantee that the next guy will be much better. Right? And so that's life in Zimbabwe. There's a great little book in the Old Testament, and I want you to turn there, because I want to just draw a few thoughts from this book, the book of Habakkuk. And um, maybe as you open your Bible to that book, you'll see a little puff of dust. Maybe you haven't been there for a while. Um, but it's a, it's a great book, and it reminds us of certain truths. As I mentioned, we live in a country of great injustice. Um, so rigged elections expropriation of people's property, um, the killing of people who are in opposition politics. Uh, if you talk about issues of justice, uh, you can be put inside and some people just disappear. So, it's not unlike the times of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived in a time where the northern kingdom had gone off into exile and Judah was now um, going through a time of great upheaval, living under kings who were not good. Some were good, but at this time, it's not good. Kings Ammon and Manasseh, were not good kings. And so as uh, Habakkuk looks at what's going on in his land, he sees great injustice. So what he does is he comes to God and he cries out. And listen to what he says at the beginning here. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. Their strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk comes to God, and here is his complaint. He complains to God. You know, it seems like God, as we go through great injustice, um, you seem to be off on coffee break. You're absent. Why aren't you doing something about it? So in the time that uh, Habakkuk writes this, uh, there was the worship of other gods. There was, you know, sometimes even the sacrificing of children to other gods. There was the dedication of horses, which were kind of the tanks of the day, to the foreign gods. And the poor were being exploited. And that's what you find in so many countries where there's injustice. You know, the people who suffer the most? 
not us. It's the poor. They are exploited. They are oppressed. They are the ones who are manipulated so that the system can continue. And so the poor are exploited. And that's what Habakkuk saw. And so it saddened him. It grieved him to see that. And by the way, justice is a huge theme throughout the Bible. If you study the concept of justice, it occurs about 2,000 times in Scripture. And justice is rooted in who God is. He is a good God. He is a God who is holy. He is a God who desires that we reflect him in how we order ourselves as God's people. And so God is concerned about justice. He is very concerned about the poor. And so you cannot escape that theme as you look at Scripture. And so God comes back to Habakkuk and he answers him. And uh, I don't exactly know how God answered him. Maybe an audible voice. Not sure, but he comes to Habakkuk and he answers. And this is what he says. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And so I can imagine Habakkuk thinking, wow. God is now finally going to rouse himself and he is going to come and he's going to fix things. That's what we want normally, isn't it? Maybe even as you look at America, you think, wow, maybe God will come and fix things. Then listen to what he says. This is God speaking. I am raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. So this is what God says. He says, I'm coming and I'm going to fix things, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. That's not good news. Uh, here's uh, people... They were the power of the day. Um, they just rode through nations, conquered them, subjugated them. And uh, this is how God says he's going to fix Judah. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, sort things out. It's a bit like God coming to America and saying, I'm going to bring the North Koreans and sort out America. Wow. Why, God, would you do that? And so, as you move on in chapter 1, you find Habakkuk's second complaint. So, Habakkuk comes, he complains, God answers. He says, this is what I'm going to do. Then Habakkuk complains again. And he says, first of all, he acknowledges, yes, God, you are from everlasting. My God, my Holy One, so I know that you are holy. 
you will never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You are my rock. You have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That's what I know about you. If you're a good God, if you are holy, then why, he goes on, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So in other words, God, you're going to bring the Babylonians, but they're worse. They're actually worse than my people. So why would you use worser people, okay, bad English, to come and sort out Judah? I don't understand this. Why would you use this means? And he goes, and God goes on to talk about, or Habakkuk goes on to talk about the wickedness of these people, what they do to their victims, so to speak. The reputation of Babylon goes before them. They are ruthless. They are wicked. But as you come to the end of Habakkuk's second complaint, chapter 2, he comes to a point of committing himself to, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I will look out. I will observe. I will wait to see. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So Habakkuk now waits for God to hear. What is his response? What is God going to say about this idea of the more wicked punishing the wicked? But I'll wait to see. The Lord comes to him, and in chapter 2, we see what God commits himself to. Now, I think it's very interesting to see what God commits himself to. Because what basically God says in chapter 2 is this. And that is that, yes, I will take care of the Babylonians. They are not going to get away with their evil. And I can't go through this chapter verse by verse, but I think the message, and I would encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk carefully and slowly sometime. And what God commits himself to and says in chapter 2 is this, that wicked people don't succeed. Eventually, wickedness has a way of imploding in on itself. When you live by power, when you live by subjugating people, when you live and you live apart from the way in which God wants us to live as human beings, eventually the system collapses. Do you believe that? 
I think it'll be, it's, it, was, it certainly has been true in Zimbabwe. When you trample on people, slowly what happens is the system collapses. In America, the more we stray from God's truth, the more we stray from his principles, the more we will find society imploding in on itself. And that is the truth that God talks about here in chapter 2. But what else is God committed to? There's a lot of woes in chapter 2. There's a lot of, I'm going to sort out the Babylonians. They will be crushed eventually. But notice what he says in chapter 2 verse 4. See the enemy is pulled up. His desires are not upright. Okay, sorry, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by faith or by his faithfulness. And so here we have a wonderful statement of the fact that God knows those who are his. Those who commit themselves to God, they live by faith. And what you see throughout the Old Testament is that God always worked through a faithful remnant. There were those who were committed to God, who exercised faith in who he is, in his holy character, who were committed to his ways. And so God knows those who are his. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? So here we have this incredible contrast. Here we have a wicked people, these Babylonians, puffed up. Okay, And even in Judah, we had people who were puffed up. People not living according to God's ways. But I have my people. I have a people who are committed to me. And I am committed to them. And so that's how God works. And then as you move on in chapter 2, verse 14, a verse that I think is very central to this book. He says this, For the earth will be filled with what? With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. So not only do I work through a faithful remnant, not only do I have those who put their faith and trust in me, but also, what do, we, what do we anticipate? That those who are committed to God will continue to grow that number. So that one day, who will appear before God's throne? People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So what is God committed to? The faithful. He is committed to seeing God's people grow. Amidst this great contrast, wicked people doing their wickedness, and out of that, what, more, what a great demonstration of God's power. Even in a world that is falling apart, even in a world that is often committed to the ways of power and injustice, God will draw to himself a people. 
That's what he's committed to. Now, I'm going to make a very radical statement as a missionary, and next week, you know, I won't be here, okay? Okay? But, um, you know, God is not committed to making America great. I don't see that in Scripture. Now, of course, there are many great things in this land, but God is committed to what? Making himself great. And how does he do that? He draws people to himself, and he will do that in spite of what goes on in this world. And often he will use the wickedness, the oppression, and use that to draw people to himself. Because often, as human beings, when we are comfortable and everything is nice, what do we do? We ignore God. We are not committed to him. It's often in times of great adversity and struggle that we are drawn to God. We have seen that in Zimbabwe. We see it, we see it in many other nations. Okay? And we don't know what path God is going to take us in this land. But God will and is committed to growing his people. He will draw people to himself. That is what he's committed to. He will make his name great, for the earth will be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And that is a progressive work. It's an ongoing work of God. And so, by the end of chapter 2, God says, the Lord is in his holy temple. What? Let all the earth be silent before him. Why do we need to be silent before him? Is anything wrong with questions? Not at all. Is there any problem with coming to God with complaint? Not at all. We see it in the psalmist. We see it in many of the prophets. We see it here in Habakkuk. We come and we wrestle with God and we complain and he wants to hear us. But eventually there comes a point where we cannot always fathom God's ways. We cannot fully understand them. And so what is the rightful response eventually? To be silent before God because he will do what he's going to do. And we will not always understand it. And so as you come to chapter 3, listen to Habakkuk. This is his prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Yes, Lord, you're going to visit out your judgments on your own people. You're going to visit out judgment on the Babylonians. Okay? Sin will always fall in on itself. Sin will always have its terrible consequences. But Lord, please, in your wrath, remember mercy. And that's how, That should be part of our prayer. Even as we look at the world and we see it in its fallenness, what do we pray for? God, 
remember mercy. Bring people to yourself. Help them to understand your grace and your goodness. And then at the end of chapter 3, he says, I heard and my voice, my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay, Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Are you at that place in your life where you can say, God, in spite of what's going on around, in spite of the consequences of sin that may even affect me, am I at a point where I can say, I will rejoice in the Lord, even as you visit your judgment on this world? And I think that doesn't happen overnight. I think what God has to do is he's got to take us through the waters, and as he does so, He works in our lives and he strengthens our faith. And this is what we've seen in Zimbabwe, is as people have gone through tremendously difficult times, they eventually come to a point, those who have really put their trust in God, and say, even though we are going through all of this, and it's your judgment that is being worked out, I will rejoice in the Lord. That can only come as... God enables us as we take one step each day. God, you are adequate, you are there for us, and you will help us. I will rejoice in the Lord. May God continue to speak to us. May he continue to use his word. And if I can just say one thing, and that is, Sometimes as we look at the world around us, we can become, even as God's people, fearful. We wonder, where are things going? But let us remember that God is committed to drawing people to himself, and he will. That's what he's committed himself to. As we spread the gospel, as we serve God, he will do his good work. And so, may God's voice, his scripture, be louder than all of our fears. Because as you go through life, there will be many things that will make us fearful as God's people. As a world becomes increasingly hostile to Christian values, we can sometimes become very fearful and upset But may God's word, his voice, be louder than all of our fears. Because God is committed to his people. And he will continue to do his good work in our world. Let us pray, shall we? Yes, Lord, we know that you have committed yourself to your people. Lord, you are there for us. And even as we live in a world that becomes increasingly hostile 
through Christian truth. Lord, you call us to live out your principles. You desire for us to be a just people. You desire for us to be a people of faith. You desire for us to be a people who put our faith in your character, who you are. You desire for us to live out what it means to be true followers of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to be fearful, but to know that in the end, it is you who wins. It is you who brings people to yourself, and you are committed to that. And you will use many different things, even hardship, to draw people to yourself. And so we thank you for who you are. Help us to rejoice in you, that you are at work. You are not absent. You are not silent. But you are always at work, sovereignly, in our world. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.